With the Baltimore Orioles enjoying an off day on Monday, we open up the mailbag here on a Tuesday episode of the podcast, answering a large group of your Orioles questions as the O's continue to head down this playoff push in August and September. But we open the mailbag coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Tuesday, August 23rd, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are opening up our Locked On Orioles mailbag. I've got nine questions to answer here on the podcast, all from you, the listeners, talking about the O's this season and beyond as we answer all of your Orioles questions. But first, just got to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. Locked on Orioles is free and available on all podcast listening platforms. If you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, if you could give a five-star rating and a review on those apps, it really helps out the pod. And then, of course, if you're watching right here on the Locked on Orioles YouTube channel, make sure to like, subscribe, comment on the videos. Helps us out tremendously. And again, we thank you, the listener, for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. And we also thank you, the listener, for sending in your mailbag questions. If you want to send in a mailbag question in the future and have it answered on a mailbag episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, you can email us at LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com, or you can tweet the podcast account at LockedOnOrioles. You can DM us. DMs are open. Or my personal account on Twitter at Connor Newcomb underscore, or sometimes the best option in the review section on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a mailbag question there. I'll make sure to answer it on a future Orioles mailbag episode. But today, we've got nine questions spanning a whole bunch of topics, and let's jump right into it with our first question, these all coming from users on Twitter. And this first question comes from Grant, who asks, could the Orioles sign a free agent this offseason who could serve both as the backup catcher and a DH at times for the Orioles? And this is a really interesting question because there's not a lot of teams that have this kind of player, although there are some teams that have some sort of situation here. And obviously, Adley Rutschman, as a starting catcher, will DH most of the times he's not catching, getting a day off behind the plate. He's probably the best bat in the Oriole lineup, so he still DHs. But as we've seen from Robinson Chirinos this year, he's been a good leader, but his defense isn't good, and he can't hit anymore. I wouldn't be surprised if Chirinos retires after this season. The Orioles are going to need a new backup catcher for Adley in 2023. Now, there are some in-house options. Uh, if you like Anthony Benboom or Jacob Nottingham, you could bring them back. Maybe Brett Cumberland gets his shot. Or maybe a guy, you know, a defensive wizard like Maverick Hanley is ready at some point next year. But I figure the Orioles, at the very least on a minor league deal and potentially a major league deal, will bring in a backup catcher for Adley via free agency in the offseason. And the reason I like this question is because, you know, this guy isn't really going to play much, whoever you bring in, because Adley, by this time next year, is probably going to be solidified as the best catcher in baseball if he isn't already. He's going to be catching five to six times a week, and the one day he doesn't catch, he'll be DHing. Your backup catcher, he'll get to start once a week at most. That's what Chirinos is doing right now. But what's interesting is, what if you brought in somebody who could do a little more? And I think there's 
probably three candidates right now who are set to be free agents this offseason who could fit this profile. I think Wilson Contreras, Gary Sanchez, and Christian Vasquez, who are all free agents, all could play a part of where they're your usual DH and then they can catch to give Adley that day off. And really, when you think about it, when you have a catcher as good as Adley Rutschman is, don't you want your backup catcher to be able to do a little bit more? Because he's going to play so little that are you wasting a roster spot if you roster a guy like Anthony Bemboom next year, who, yeah, is a pretty good defensive catcher, but he can't hit, and he's there to catch your staff once a week and not really play otherwise. Is that wasting a roster spot? Whereas if you paid for a guy like Wilson Contreras, he could catch maybe twice a week, and he could DH three to four times a week and maybe play a little outfield or first base. He's a fairly athletic guy. With the bat Contreras has had this year, 135 WRC+, still only 30 years old, I say he maybe commands about a three-year, $50 to $60 million contract. If the Orioles are willing to give that out because his bat has been so good and let him know that he's going to be a DH primarily who will catch when Adley is DHing or getting the day off, and if Contreras buys into that thinking, okay, if I'm not catching as much, maybe I can save my legs, have a longer career. And Contreras has a great arm, but he's also not a great framing catcher, so it's not like he's super elite defensively. Maybe that could work out. But I think Contreras is probably going to want to be somebody's everyday starting catcher. So maybe if it's not him, maybe you go to a guy like, guy like Christian Vasquez, who already DHs a solid amount for the Red Sox and then you know is now with the Houston Astros. But a 111 WRC plus this year for Vasquez, a really good hitter from the right side and a good catcher behind the dish. Again, another guy could catch one to two times a week and could DH for you. But one other guy I put in there is Gary Sanchez, who you know has had a rough year with injuries and defensive struggles and only a 95 WRC plus in his first year with the Twins. But he's certainly a bat first catcher who struggled defensively. Could you bring him in? And he catches once a week and he just DHs and plays a little first base at times, but it's definitely interesting to look at because you look at a team like the Dodgers, for example. Will Smith is a top five catcher in baseball. Their backup is Austin Barnes. The reason Austin Barnes helps the Dodgers is not just that he catches once or twice a week, but Barnes can also play second base and he can also play a little third base and he can also play the outfield a little bit. So they can get Barnes in at other positions and he helps the roster more than just playing once a week. It's definitely an interesting question by Grant. And maybe the O's would try to shell out some money for Contreras if he bought into being a DH. That would certainly make the team better going into next year. Second question I got in the mailbag comes from Mike Petty on Twitter, who asked, like the Braves, could the Orioles extend their young stars? Now, he specifically talked about Gunnar Henderson and Adley Rutschman. I'm going to leave Gunnar out of it just because I don't think, I don't think if the Orioles do that, they will do it with anyone who hasn't had at least, you know, a solid sample size of the majors. So I don't even think this offseason they would even look into a Gunnar Henderson extension. But I think they certainly could look into an Adley Rutschman extension this offseason with how good he has been. Maybe something like eight years, $200 million for Adley Rutschman. You could buy out all of his arbitration years plus one or two of his free agent years at the end of his time as well. That gives him $25 million per year. Now, yeah, on the free agent market once he becomes a free agent he could be worth more than that but when you think about it he's already going to be 30 plus once he becomes a free agent and a catcher loses some value at that age and I still think Adley Rutschman is going to be a stud at age 30 but 
maybe you can get him to agree to a contract like that now. An eight years, 200-ish million dollar deal right now. He's certainly showing he's worth it. I would love to see them do it. You know, have him secured, you know, a couple years beyond when he would become a free agent. And you don't have to worry about, you know, him getting underpaid or his arbitration number inflating so much at the end of the deal that, you know, if the Orioles aren't spending by then, hopefully they are. But if they aren't, you don't have to worry about, can we still pay Adley Rutschman? You kind of get a set number for the next eight years. Now, Wander Franco, he got 11 years, $182 million from the Tampa Bay Rays this offseason. That was after a 2.4 war season last year. Adley's already at 3.5 F war, and he's going to get better. He's still got another month to go. I don't know if Adley would accept that deal. He's already got a good amount of money with that $8 million signing bonus he got when he was drafted number one. But I think the O's should certainly discuss it and try to get something done with Adley Rutschman this offseason. Third question comes from at Zeke's Bucket on Twitter, who asks, who is your favorite Orioles player interview you've done on the podcast? I've, I've had a, a good amount of, of mostly minor league players come on this pod. Uh, this offseason had guys like Nick Vespi come on. Uh, JC Ascaro was a good one. I've had guys like Toby Welk, Morgan McSweeney, Caden Grenier in the past. But I think I'll say my favorite was Thomas Eshelman. If you want to go back and find the episode, uh, it's it's audio only. We did not do a YouTube episode then, but it's from January 5th of 2022. Had Thomas Eshelman on after he had been outrighted off the roster by the Orioles. He was a free agent, and this was before the Padres signed him to a minor league deal. Eshelman, who has been in AAA with the Padres all season, and it was just a really good look into you know him getting traded over to the Orioles when Mike Elias took over the you know kind of early success he had with the O's especially in 2020 and then how things really you know kind of did get ugly at times for him on the mound in 2021 which ultimately led to the O's releasing him uh, we talked about his college career at Cal State Fullerton some off the field stuff it was a really good conversation with Thomas Eshelman I really enjoyed that uh, but that's definitely been my favorite one I've done on the pod we got plenty more mailbag questions to answer here on the podcast three more coming up next in our next segment, including a little bit about the fan base reaction to the Orioles winning and the O's bullpen moving forward, plus a little create a team question that was very fun to answer. But first, got to tell you about LinkedIn jobs, because I think a lot of you are familiar with LinkedIn. It's a place you can go to find a new job. But as you gear up for fall, if you're hiring, you need the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. And LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. You can create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. They have simple tools like screening questions that make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and who you'd like to hire. So LinkedIn Jobs, it helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash lockedonmlb. Again, that's linkedin.com slash lockedonmlb to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So it's a Mailbag Tuesday episode here on the podcast answering your Orioles questions. And we've got nine questions today all coming from listeners. And let's jump right back into it. Our fourth question of the day, this one comes from Weather Guy on Twitter who asked, how do you expect the bullpen 
to perform for the rest of the 2022 season? Do you think what they've been is what they are, or should we expect some regression from the Orioles' bullpen? And what I will say is, you know, the O's' bullpen did get worse at the trade deadline. Frankly, they traded an all-star closer in Jorge Lopez to the Twins, and they backfilled essentially with a guy like Lewis Head, who is is currently, you know, in the final spot in the bullpen. So obviously it got worse and it's been a little tougher for Brandon Hyde to manage that bullpen without your all-star closer Jorge Lopez. Now Felix Bautista has stepped in, done a phenomenal job as the Orioles closer since Lopez was traded, but the bullpen still gets a little worse down the line. You know, your eighth reliever, your seventh reliever aren't as good, even if you have a good replacement for your closer like Felix Bautista. What I will say is Felix Bautista is a stud. He's going to stay a stud. He might blow a save or two down the stretch because this is a new role for him. It's his first year in the big leagues, but he's great. I think Dylan Tate is going to be really reliable for the rest of the year. Brandon Hyde's going to call on him a lot down the stretch. And CNL Perez, there might be a couple bad outings because his underlying numbers are worse than his surface numbers that, you know, still have his ERA, you know, in the ones. But he's got some good stuff from the left side, and I do trust him. Then, you know, you've got still some guys that are question marks. I think Joey Crabo, Brian Baker, Nick Vespi, and even Keegan Aiken as well, who's looked rough over the last month or so. You don't know about those guys. They'll have their good outings. Baker and Crabo certainly recently have had some great outings. Vespi's gotten some big outs, and Aiken has had some big outings. But also, they're going to have their struggles. And then there's that, you know, last part of the bullpen. Currently, it's Lewis Head, uh, you know. It may be head moving forward. You'll probably see a guy like maybe Logan Gillespie back in that spot. I'm hoping we'll, you know, or it sounds like we will see D.L. Hall in the bullpen in September. So that's another piece to add to the pen. And essentially, they're going to have a nine-man bullpen throughout September when the rosters expand to 28. So what I think is you might see a little aggression from some of these guys. And, and again, I think expect Felix to blow a save. But I will say we're at August 22nd now. I mean, the Orioles have played, you know, 121 games at this point. And the bullpen is still a top five bullpen in Major League Baseball. I think that's enough of a sample size that even with Jorge Lopez gone, again, it's worse than when they had Jorge Lopez, no question about it. But I think they're going to hold up enough to keep this team in the playoff race throughout the rest of the season. Our fifth question of the day comes from Ryan Zepp on Twitter, who asks, have you noticed a difference in fans, Orioles fans on social media, with the O's winning, just you know how they react to certain things. And he wanted to just get my take on the different reactions from Orioles fans. And I got to say, you know, it may seem like more people are angry about day-to-day lineups or bullpen moves or just individual performances in any game or more upset with Mike Elias or Brandon Hyde and the decisions they make. But I will say that happens when you have a good baseball team with expectations. The Orioles have not had any expectations really since 2017. And now, five years later, they have them again. They are in a playoff race. They're two and a half games out of a postseason spot on August 23rd. And what that means is with expectations, well, that equals more frustrations as well when those expectations aren't met. So if the bullpen isn't perfect or a starter struggles or Brandon Hyde makes the wrong move, out of the pen or, you know, a, str- a struggling guy like a Tyler Nevin or Ryan McKenna, or Robinson Trinos is in the lineup once a week. It's going to bring more frustration because you feel like the team can be better. And honestly, you know, I think it will even out a little bit, but I think at the end of the day, for me, people getting upset about a lineup that affects one game. And, and as we saw, like 
on Saturday's lineup, for example, those guys didn't even play the whole game. A lot of you know pinch hitters later in that game once the starter Michael Waka left. That's a good thing for me because to me it shows fans are invested again. Fans are locked in again. Fans have expectations again. And fans are getting frustrated again because they really care about this team winning. No one cared about what the lineup looked like from 2018 through 21 because it didn't look good. And the O's were a losing, losing, losing baseball team in that stretch. But now they're 63 and 58. And now they're two and a half out. And now they're playing some key games here in late August. And so decisions, lineups, performances, they're all going to be scrutinized when you have expectations you're a winning team. But what that means is we have a winning baseball team. And that's so much better than the opposite, which is a losing team with no expectations and no one getting mad. And some people, yeah, go over the top, but I think most people are level-headed enough to understand why a lot of decisions are made. And people just want to see the team win. And the fact that they are winning at least makes some of it pretty enjoyable. Sixth question of the day, probably my favorite one that I've gotten. It came from Ethan on Twitter, who asked me to create the ideal team combining the rosters of the 2014 Orioles, of course, the AL East champions winning 96 games that year, advancing to the ALCS, and the current 2022 Orioles. So I took it all the way. I put together a starting nine, a four-man bench, and five starting pitchers, and eight relievers. And this was a lot of fun. And I even put them into a full-fledged lineup. So here we go. Leading off, playing center field, I've got Adam Jones. He did a lot for that team. Yeah, Cedric Mullins, you could make a case, but right now I'm still taking Adam Jones, especially in his 2014 season versus Mullins' 2022 season. Now, if you asked me last year, it's Cedric Mullins. In the two spot, I've got Adley Rutschman. I mean, you know, it doesn't help Matt Wieters that he was injured for a lot of 2014, obviously, when he got Tommy John surgery, but Adley Rutschman is just a stud, a two-hitter. He's incredible. Hitting third, I've got Manny Machado. Now, I know he missed the end part of that season and the playoffs with injury in 2014, but Machado was still great when he was healthy early in the 14 season. Machado at third base, hitting third, easy decision. Fourth, of course, I've got Nelson Cruz DHing for this team. Uh, led the big leagues in home runs in 2014. Was a huge one-year free agent addition for the Orioles. So many big homers, so many big hits. Of course, had the game-winning homer in the ALDS Game 3 that advanced the Orioles to the ALCS. Just a, a perfect DH to have on that team. Hitting fifth and playing left field, I've got Anthony Santander. Listen, you know, all in all, in terms of guys who have been on the team since opening day, Santander has been the best hitter on this 2022 Orioles team. Walk rates are up, a career-high 21 homers, 125 OPS+. plus. He's hitting for power, he's hitting doubles, striking out less, walking more. He's been fun to watch. And you got to put him in the middle of this lineup. Batting sixth in right field, I've got Nick Markakis. I mean, you know, he didn't have the best year of his career in 2014, but he was a really, really solid player for that team, helping to lead them to a division championship. I mean, to have that steady presence, playing right, hitting sixth, that left-handed bat, I will take that all day. Batting seventh at first base, maybe a surprise, I've got Steve Pierce. That was Pierce's really breakout season in 2014 with the Orioles. Chris Davis, after hitting 53 homers in 2013, just collapsed offensively. Really for the first time in his career in 2014, hit over, hit under 200, I should say, the whole year. And Pierce stepped in and was huge. Had an OPS plus over 130, hit 293 that season, had power, hit for doubles, had clutch hit after clutch hit. And I'm putting him at first base. Steve Pierce was a huge, huge part of that Orioles team 
with the injury to Weeders and Machado and the ineffectiveness of Davis, they don't win that division without Steve Pierce. And, and he was huge, and I'm putting him seventh. Batting eighth, I'm going to have J.J. Hardy. Now, J.J. Hardy did have a bit of a down offensive year in 2014. He was still elite defensively at shortstop, still got some huge hits, obviously scored the winning run on the Delman double. But what I will say is, you know, with that bat, he still has the pop. He still has the defense at shortstop, and it hit him eighth. And then at second base, hitting ninth, I have Jorge Mateo. You know, I put him at second. Maybe you can flip him and Hardy, but with how well he's hit down the stretch here for the Orioles and the elite gold glove defense he's played in the infield and all that speed, stolen bases he brings you, I think he's a perfect number nine hitter. And the kind of guy that that 2014 team didn't really have, Jorge Mateo, I think would have really helped out that team, especially in that Royals series in the ALCS. So there's obviously some snubs, but my four bench players, I mean, you got to have Delman Young on your bench. Even just a pinch hit, you got to have him in there for the big moments in the playoffs. Then you got Cedric Mullins as your fourth outfielder. He can play against righties. He's still a great bat to have in the lineup. I put Ryan Mountcastle on the bench as well, just because with the power bat, the way he can heat up, he'd be one of the best hitters on that team. And then Matt Wieters rounds out my bench. You know, even though he missed most of that year with injury, Matt Wieters was actually in, you know, about the month and a half he played before the injury that year. He was on pace to have one of his best offensive seasons. He was really swinging it well early in 2014, and I'll take him as the number two catcher behind Adley. Then you go to the starting rotation for that team. It's going to be mostly the 2014 rotation. Chris Tillman, one. Wei Yin Chen, two. Kevin Gaussman, three. And Bud Norris, four. Those guys were just great. All of them really had career seasons, and it combined to help the Orioles win that division. They were so, so good. And we know the O's rotation has had its struggles this year. Now, I think many would maybe put Miguel Gonzalez in that fifth spot and finish out the 2014 rotation. I'm actually going to put Jordan Lyles as the number five starter. Again, doesn't have the ERA that maybe Gonzalez or a guy like Tyler Wells or a Dean Kramer had. I didn't really include John Means here because he basically hasn't pitched this year at all, so didn't include him in the exercise. But Jordan Lyles, the perfect, perfect number five starter on a good playoff team, just eat innings, be a leader for the staff. He could have really helped, I think, 2014 Orioles as well. And then you have the bullpen. Maybe the strength of both of these teams. This is an elite bullpen I'm putting together right here. You got Zach Britton closing out games. You got Darren O'Day. You got Andrew Miller. And you got Brad Brock from the 2014 team. And then I'm putting in Felix Bautista, Dylan Tate, CNL Perez, and I'm going to throw in Austin Voth from the 2022 team into that bullpen. Really, you need four innings, five at the most from any starter. And that bullpen combined with those two teams is locking it down. No questions asked. Is that a World Series winning team? No, but maybe. There's a lot of talent you put together from those two teams. But we've got three more mailbag questions to answer when we come back, finishing it up with a look at the Orioles roster expansion potential on September 1st and a little look at Jones versus Mullins, among other things, to finish out a mailbag episode coming up next. So we finish up our Mailbag Tuesday episode here on the Locked on Orioles podcast. Three more questions from the listeners. And our seventh question of the day comes from at Orioles Sirloin on Twitter, who asked, who will the Orioles recall on September 1st? And I'm going to answer this question assuming that Gunnar Henderson comes up to the big league sometime this week and he replaces Tyler Nevin in that move with Nevin optioned to AAA Norfolk. But honestly... What I do think the Orioles are going to do is I really think on September 1st, if the, even if they do that, they'll just recall Tyler Nevin because, listen, I know the bat hasn't been there, but 
He's a right-handed bat who still has some power, and he's versatile defensively. He can play third base, first base, left field, and right field. That's important to have, even if it's at the end of your bench in September, just in a pinch. I mean, you know, Nevin did have to play third base in the ninth inning on Sunday because of the pinch runner situation the Orioles had in the eighth, and, you know, he made the final play, final out of that win in Little League Classic. So I think they'd keep Nevin with Henderson with the rosters expanding. Now, it goes from 26 to 28 players, but you can still only have a maximum of 14 pitchers. So basically, the Orioles would have to add one pitcher and one position player. And they basically told us who that pitcher is going to be. It's going to be D.L. Hall. He is eligible to come back up on the 29th. I think they'll just call him up on September 1st. Out of the Oriole bullpen is already to start work, starting to work specifically out of the bullpen now that he's back in Norfolk. Hard-throwing lefty, the stuff's going to be electric, and he's going to really, really help this Orioles team. The other options, pitching-wise, a guy like Logan Gillespie or maybe a Bruce Zimmerman to be a long reliever could be potential if they maybe wanted to also like option a guy like Lewis Head back to AAA. And the other position players, I mean, Brett Phillips did accept his option to AAA, so he's still in Norfolk. Maybe the O's would bring him back up to the big leagues. Yusniel Diaz has been around a bit, you know, to have another big bat from the right side. Or Richie Martin to just give yourself... Uh, Some flexibility in the infield could also be options. But I think Henderson replaces Nevin. Then Nevin comes back and D.L. Hall is added. Question number eight also comes from Ethan. Who said, would you rather have Cedric Mullins or Adam Jones in center field? It's a really good question. Because two guys have been the face of the Orioles at times. Play the same position. And have had some all-star seasons for the Orioles. Now, in terms of a peak season, Adam Jones never had a season as good as Cedric Mullins had in 2021. Mullins' peak season, of course, was last year. 136 WRC+, 6.0 F-War, an OPS just shy of 900. For Adam Jones, he really had two peak seasons. It was 2012 and 2013. 2012, a 127 WRC+, was his best. 2013, a 4.9 WAR, according to Fangraphs. That was his best as well. So you take that era Jones versus 2021 Mullins, I'm still taking Mullins in a one-year sample size. But the overall player, I'm still taking Adam Jones. You know, we've seen just kind of two good years now from Cedric Mullins, and he's obviously been down this year from last year. But for Adam Jones, you just had consistency. I mean, eight years with the Orioles over a 100 WRC+. That means eight years he was better than a league average hitter. He had four years where he was worth over three wins, according to War. And Adam Jones had 10 seasons with the Orioles in which he had an OPS over 730. The reason I bring up that number 730 is because through play on Monday, 730 is Cedric Mullins' current OPS for the 2022 season. So, yes, Mullins' 2021 season was better than any year Jones had, but you could argue offensively, Jones had 10 years that were better than Mullins this year, and this is Mullins' second best season. Now, obviously, he's younger, hasn't had nearly as much time as Jones had with the Orioles, but right now, I'm taking the consistency, the longevity of Adam Jones, but hey. Cedric Mullins at least continues at this pace or maybe a little better. The answer could be Mullins a couple years down the line. And the final question to answer comes from Cam, who asks, which pitching prospect, not named Grayson Rodriguez or D.L. Hall, are you most excited to see in 2023? And I'll be quick with this one. It's Drew Rahm, the left-hander who the O's picked out of high school a few years back, just got promoted to AAA last week. Had nine strikeouts in four and a third innings in his AAA debut over the weekend for the Norfolk Tides. 
Yeah, he's not the hardest thrower in the world, but it's, you know, low 90s fastball, really good breaking stuff with a changeup for Rom. I like the way he pitches. He's not the same kind of pitcher as John Means, but he reminds me of a John Means type guy. And Rom is a much bigger prospect than Means ever was in the Orioles system. He's not DL Hall stuff from the left side, but it's good stuff. He's still a top 15 Orioles prospect. And I think he's certainly going to pitch in the big leagues in 2023. And I'm excited to see what he can potentially do. But that finishes things up on our Mailbag Tuesday. Thank you to everyone who sent in your Orioles questions for this mailbag. Again, if you want your questions answered in the future, email us at LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com with your mailbag questions. Tweet at us at LockedOnOrioles or leave them in the review section on Apple Podcasts or in the comments on YouTube to get your questions answered on a future mailbag episode. I'll be back with you here on the pod tomorrow. Of course, we'll recap game one between the Orioles and the White Sox at Oriole Park on Tuesday night. Hopefully, we'll have a Gunnar Henderson debut to talk about. We will see. We'll get you ready for the rest of the Orioles-White Sox series and get a little draft talk of the Orioles learning more about their draft picks coming up on tomorrow's episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team... Every day.